What's going on, you guys? It's Ian. So before we get to the podcast, I just want to tell you guys about the sponsor of this next series of podcasts. So these next few podcasts that I'm going to be putting out are going to be brought to you by Mars Bar. Let me tell you guys real quick about the story behind Mars Bar. So there's all kinds of bars out there, things that help with mobility, things that help you in case you have circumstances that don't let you squat the way you want to. You have injuries, shoulder mobility limitations, things like that. The Mars Bar is what tackles all of these problems in the most effective way possible. You are not going to find a bar that does it better than the Mars Bar. It is something that hugs your body in a way that allows you to squat no matter what your consideration is as a recreational weightlifter or powerlifter or any sport that you're in. This is the single greatest design I've ever seen come from a bar. And the man who designed it, Zach Mars, is wonderful, incredible, and the stories that come from the people who use this damn bar are absolutely incredible. It puts the weight where it needs to be in your squat, and it affords you and accommodates you all kinds of necessary improvements for your mobility, range of motion, and pain in case you are worried about that in a squat. So these podcasts that are going to be coming out are brought to you by Mars Bar. We're going to talk about it a little bit in the shows, and guys, go buy it. You want to do it. Trust me. So, um, you know, I saw the Mars Bar pop up online a couple years ago, something like that. Uh, because I'm a conjugate kind of base sports performance coach. Yeah. So a lot of the accounts I follow, you know, specialty bars and in kind of different stuff. So I saw it. And then last year uh, for, for an academic school year, I served as an assistant athletic director at Chicago state. And the purpose of that was it was during the pandemic. So I knew going into it, I told the athletic director, it would not be like a forever job for me. Basically, I was stuck not traveling, um, so I just figured I might as well do something. And that school is on the south side of Chicago. Ooh. I think they've been tremendously um, underfunded and overlooked. They're a Division One school, which a lot of people didn't even realize. Um, and their weight room was in disarray would be a nice word. Shambles would be a nice word. It was like <laughs> a concrete room with some that like thin square carpet that you would like glue down and then half of that was coming up and then they they split that room with athletic training at the time so there were like training tables on one side like power racks on the other side and um the the athletic director was brand new and he wanted me to come in and kind of re hit reset on the strength conditioning program yeah so one of my first tasks was to redo that weight room, redo that space. And one of the things, you know, within my budget, I bought three Mars bars because, you know, for collegiate athletes, uh, especially at that school, it's not a football school. So there's basketball, volleyball, track and field, golf, tennis, you know, every other sport, basically, but football and baseball. Um, I didn't see a reason uh, to, <laughs> to buy more straight bars. I feel like we need to get our hips strong. Um, we need to yeah. do it in a way that's safe. And if you've ever worked with collegiate athletes, you understand you don't have a lot of time with them um, between practice, um, you know, season competition. Uh, coaches obviously want to dominate as much of that sport practice as they can. 
so anyway, you don't have a lot of time to work on mobility issues, and stuff that straight bars just naturally bring up. So uh, get to the point, I ordered three Mars bars and um, I haven't seen every weight room in the country, but I know we were probably one of the earlier ones to have that many. And uh, we yeah. did our, you know, almost all of our lower uh, work on that. So front squats, back squats, you know, whatever it was, lunges, we did almost exclusively with those. And then uh, my training partners, uh, Tom Callis and Cam, um, you know, they are both really good power lifters. Uh, yeah. You know, Tom, Tom has got, I think, five world records at his body weight or at various body weights. Uh, Cam yeah. was a top 10 power lifter last year in his weight class in wraps. Mm. And Cam tore his pec off the bone last year at the hybrid meet, benching oh 500. Oh, gosh. Oof. And um, so part of his surgery was, you know, obviously he has to get back under a bar somehow. I told him, dude, I've got three spot, three Mars bars. You got to find one. It's going to be the safest way for you to get back because, you know, even with a like a, a safety squat bar, you still have it directly across that trap. So it's pushing that shoulder down. Yeah. And as a result, this whole sho shoulder girdle is having to like kind of fight this direct push. And that's right. If you go straight down, that's right where that heck is. And <laughs> right in the like, spot he doesn't want it to be. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So with the Mars bar, because it's rounded, I'm like, at a minimum, it's evenly distributed. And if you want to squat, I think that's the best way, safest way to do it is your pec heels. And so he actually found one uh, at a resale shop. I don't, somebody, I guess, opening the packaging, they cut the leather on the handle part of it. Oh no. So it was, it was, it was brand new aside from that. And it was discounted quite heavily. And so he bought it, um, yeah. and with one, with one peck, he bought it, put it in his uh, car, drove it to Tom's house, unloaded it. He walked in with, you know, just one arm in it, the other <laughs> arm, like, in a cast like this. Bar. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so we've been, we use that, uh, a few weeks out of the year, you know, so at his, at Tom's house, he has a four car garage with a monolift, a combo rack, a power rack, leg press, leg extension, leg curl, chest press, seated row, uh, hyper extension, Nautilus, uh, seated cat, like hack squat all in his garage. So it's like a powerlifting gym. It, I was I mean, about I'm, to say it's, it's a total paradise. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, at his house is where we squat and because obviously we can use the mono sure. and like more of a traditional, I would say conjugate system, we rotate bars. So we do waves of bars. So we did the Mars bar for gosh, probably nine weeks in a row, almost, you know, where we there was a pause squat, a box squat, a front squat, some version of it. And then we shifted towards the safety squat. And then we shifted towards, you know, straight bar because Cam, Cam's competing in the ghost clash in three and a half weeks, whatever it is. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I knew, probably... I, I heard about the ghost clash and and i'm not mm -hmm. i'm not super well versed on like the powerlifting world it, i wish you know sure. i'm learning more but i i knew that there were like a couple shows that were huge right there was like the ghost clash i heard of like the kern or something mm -hmm. and there so there's a couple that are up there and i guess ghost clash is one of those shows where it's like you want you want to go to that one essentially right well well through the years you know, last 10 years, powerlifting has become really popular. Yeah. Um, it's, it's become, in my opinion, a, um, a almost like CrossFit in that CrossFit had its peak probably eight or 10 years ago where everybody was interested in it. They were popping up at every small town. You know, I'm from Texas and, and there was a town like 10 miles from me. It's like 8,000 people. They had a CrossFit gym. You know, like <laughs> it's like 
CrossFit was everywhere. It's, ha- um, it's huge, yeah. And then people, you know, people started realizing, you know, maybe that's not the best for me um, in terms of all the different movements and things that are asked for me to do. And, and to be quite honest, it's very difficult to coach that. Um, I, I know some of the really good CrossFitters from a few years ago. I used to work with them. Um, Progenics would fly them into my old gym, and we would do a crossover event with NFL Combine. And so we'd have our NFL Combine people and literally like some of the top CrossFit athletes um, basically work out side by side to kind of just see how it felt, right? Yeah. Um, and like they are all incredible coaches, but very few people understand the, you know, have the experience, understand the science and understand the nuance of applying that many different methodologies with a general population, right? It's very difficult to do. So I think as a result, a a lot of people step over to powerlifting because they're like, okay, I can still move heavy weight. Yeah. Instead of doing 50 things, I'm doing three, basically. And if you're in the, you know, the dad bod world, like you can have a little bit of a gut. It's fine. As long as you're strong, no one cares. Uh, So powerlifting, you know, I think really picked up steam the last several years. And if you look at like USAPL, uh, especially pre-pandemic, if you look at their competition numbers, they kept going up and up and up and up and up. And every organization, I think, has grown. Um, but they actually post their meet numbers and how many people are registering, and it keeps going up and up and up and up. So as a result, over the last 10 years, you've seen several different powerlifting meets try to become the powerlifting meet, the Super Bowl of powerlifting. So there used to be um, an event called you know, Big Dogs, uh, Bosses of Bosses, which is Dan Green's. Uh, there was record breakers, Reebok record breakers out in Sacramento. Um, the Kern is in California. The Kern was the first event to put up real money, I would say, for the winners. You know, 15, 20K, something like that. That's uh, what it was. Invite, yeah. yeah, it's an invite only meet. And then hybrid, because it's become more popular over the last few years as well. Um, you know, they had a really popular meet in Miami. And Ghost, you know, the equipment manufacturer basically said, um, you know, we want to be the, I don't know what the word is, the, the Ferrari of powerlifting equipment, yeah. right? We don't necessarily need to be in every gym, like a rogue or an elite. Um, we want to be in a few select gyms and it's going to be a premium for our products that they're going to be worth it. Very elite. So Ghost yeah. said, yeah. So Ghost said like, if we're going to, um, you know, if we want to be elite, we have to do an elite meet. So actually yeah. I think this is the first year of the ghost meet in Miami, if I'm not mistaken. I know they wow. have other meets, but so hybrid meet was literally this past weekend. So they, and then a, a month later is the ghost meet. So two, two big meets in Miami a month out from each other. And um, as a result, lifters this year kind of had to, were kind of forced to pick which way they wanted to go. Yeah. Um, the, the hybrid meet, I don't know if they allowed wraps because I don't have any friends competing in it. So I'm not sure, but the ghost meet for sure allows wraps. So that's part of the difference too. And you mentioned earlier that I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not segueing properly. I've got a completely different question for you, but it was, it was something I was curious about. You mentioned earlier about uh, when you work out, you switch up your bars for your leg workout. And mm-hmm. I know going through and sort of seeing people like all the different bars out there, there's a duffalo bar, right? Mm-hmm. What, what does that do? Can you explain that to me? Because I've always been curious. I, I want to know like the breakdown of what yeah. the hell a duffalo bar does. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So um, the duffalo bar is literally just basically a squat bar length bar. So okay. it's wider than your standard barbell and it's curved, right? Okay. 
Now, depending on which version of it you have, a Duffalo or a Buffalo, or whatever Olo you want. Is to there put a on Buffalo? It, right? Is there a Buffalo bar? Yeah, because every brand has now come out with their own version. So, like <laughs> you know, like Chris. That's not Chris a ripoff. <laughs> yeah, like Chris Duffin, obviously the Buffalo Bar, and then yeah. uh, Titan has one, and a few other companies have made it. Um, and it's actually not a new idea. Like Chris Duffin for sure made it popular, but if okay. you look back at history, especially at like conjugate gyms, um, there's been different versions of cambered bars, which is really what a Duffalo is. It's really a straight bar with enough curve that it doesn't have the extension down like a cambered bar would. Uh, but you but you get this kind of curved effect. And, and the principle being um, a straight bar, by definition, creates strange angles, right? Like mm. I've always told people, if you ever want to understand why a straight bar isn't optimal for just how you move, I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying in terms of how you move, you know, get into a bench press position and try to run. It doesn't make sense. Right. Your arms are straight out. That's you know, like it doesn't even at the bottom, it work. Like it, it's, it's, you're like a T-Rex. Like it doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah. Squat. Same thing. Like just put your you know, hands back where a squat bar would be and then try to slide that down your back a little bit. Yeah, you can get there, but it's not necessarily comfortable. And for sure, I don't think anyone could argue it's natural. Like that doesn't happen in real life. No, you know, uh, if, we it, did, if we didn't have weight equipment, you would never get in that position. Yeah. Um, and same, you know, same thing with a bench press. Like you would do a push up in real life. But that's not in the straight bar. Your hands are usually rotated in, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the duffalo bar, because of that curve, you know, um, in the bar, as a result, instead of your hands being, you know, up here, depending on the bar, they could be three or four inches lower. Okay. So, and then also the curve then actually kind of hugs the natural curve of your back, right? Like everybody has shoulders and then your traps run up to your neck. It's a curve. It's not a straight line. Oh, so, as, so as a result of the curve, instead of it being on kind of one spot, like on your spine, it's more evenly distributed around your back as well. So it's easier on your shoulders because you're not getting your, your hands jerked up into that straight bar position. And it also distributes the weight better. So if you look at Donnie Thompson, he has something, um, man, I forget what he calls it. He, I think he calls it like the mastodon bar or something, but okay. it's basically the same idea, except his is like eight or 10 inch curve. It's huge. Oh, wow. So his, so his hand, so like a duffalo bar, it's, it's a step off of a straight bar. So to me, the, the difference between the two is, is significant, but you could go from one to the other without a big learning curve. Okay. The one that Donnie Thompson uses, your hands are like down low, like a cambered bar, um, because his thing is, why do I even need my hands that high? Right. If my goal is to get my hips stronger, just keep curving why? it. Yeah. Just keep curving it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think the right answer in a lot of this debate about whether what bar you should or shouldn't be using and all that junk has everything to do with what um, outcome are you looking for? Okay. So, what athlete, what outcome do they need? And then you go from there. When you start the conversation from you should straight bar squat or you should you know, Mars bar squat, or you should duffalo bar squat. Um, I'm already turned off because you're not even considering why are we training in the first place, right? Like you, you have these strength coaches who are obsessed with some version of strength sports, whether that be Olympic lifting, whether it be powerlifting, you know, even strongman. And then they, they train their athletes through the filter of what their passion is, as opposed to training their athletes through what's the best outcome and solution for them and then let me find the tools to suit that that's really the right approach and a lot of strength coaches miss that and and it's kind of you know the rhetoric uh 
in coaching or personal training, you know, it's, it's, I know powerlifting coaches are definitely more well, well-versed in the subject of exercise than, you know, I guess a personal trainer, but uh, with the personal training, it was always about trying to just do a regular barbell squat. And I think the idea of simply just switching up the barbells, I didn't even think about until learning about the different kinds of barbells out there. And I'm sitting here thinking, oh, well, shit, like, why do we, why do we even yeah. try a straight bar squat? There's other safer ways to do it with cooler equipment that could save you in the long run. So should it be, should anybody really just focus more on the stuff that isn't a straight bar squat? Because, I mean, I know they could do it, but maybe yeah. they should kind I mean, of get my, rid of it, essentially. Well, well, you know, we'll put it this way. Um, this always causes controversy with some people. Yeah. Um, I've trained eight or nine NFL uh, pro bowlers. I've had NBA All-Star. I've had MLB guys. I've had um, Olympic medalists. We've never significantly straight bar squat i don't want to say ever but like it's very rare because again if my their goal is to power lift right the only sport where a straight bar squat matters is powerlifting. Mm. strongman doesn't even do a traditional straight bar squat right every oh, wow. once in a yeah. while they'll they'll load up those humongous um you know i don't know what they are they're, they're like <laughs> a big you know it's not a it's not even a tire it's like this big drum thing on the end and they, they get under it and they right. kind of do like, you know, straight up, but the bar is wide, it's bending. Like it's not really a straight bar squat. And so the only sport in the entire world that puts a straight bar in your shoulders and asks you to do it for competition is powerlifting. It's powerlifting. Even Olympic okay. lifting is in front, right? Nothing's behind you. Yeah. So um, I can't, if, again, if somebody says you have to do it, then the, the question should be why. And if they can't answer why, then you shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. And for an NFL player, you know, or MLB pitcher or a uh, basketball, an NBA player, like why in the world do you need to do a straight bar squat? And, and the pushback is always, you know, some people, well, if you don't have the mobility to do it, are you inviting risk or injury, right? They're saying if you don't have the risk or whatever, then that's a problem. Same thing with Olympic lifts. Like I've never Olympic lifted any of my athletes as well in the traditional sense. Like I've never yeah. done straight bar cleans and all that. And they said, well, if you can't do that, aren't, isn't there like a mobility issue because they can't get into those positions? And I would, again, argue, well, what makes those positions special? Are there, is that somehow the universal gold standard assessment for mobility for an NFL player? That's such a good no. point, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if, you, if you know this industry well, you remember FMS, which came out 10, 12 years ago, roughly. And the FMS protocol was an assessment designed to try to red flag athletes before they got hurt okay. and one of the first organizations to use it utilize it heavily was the indianapolis colts because they're like if you get a you know 20 on your fms score you might be at a potential for injury and we need to rehabilitate you blah 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 well they collected all this data and they basically found no predictive ability from the assessment in any way shape or form like the idea of assessing you know a, a body for an extreme sport through a specific set of range of motion like three or four or five, whatever it is, it's just ridiculous because yeah. your range of motion that you go through is infinite, right? If you ever study, um, you know, biomechanics, you understand degrees of freedom and ranges of motion. And if you start multiplying the factors, it really becomes infinite very quickly. Yeah, so it's everywhere. Yeah. I, yeah, so so for me, like, and if you haven't trained high-level athletes, you've never dealt with real injuries. So 
how to train NFL guys who, um, you know, hamstring ripped off the bone, tricep ripped off, pec ripped off, bicep detached. Jesus. Um, you know, one guy lost his hamstring, ACL, MCL, PCL, all in the same hit. So, like, you know, That's wrist broken, um, you know, this fuse, bone, uh, rod here. Like, to ask these guys to get into, like, a front rack position or even a straight bar is just insane because they actually don't have the ability based on their injury history. Yeah. And again, you know, you'd say, well, should they even be playing football? Well, I don't know. Like, if they want to play, <laughs> let them play. Like, I don't care. If, if he's tearing all this shit, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you know, like, if he wants to do it, go for it. Sure. Yeah. Like, whatever, whatever cranks your tractor. But my job is to make you as, as prepared as possible to express your athleticism. That's what I always say. My job isn't to make you X, Y, or Z. You genetically are at a point which you have more potential than most people. I need to let you express that. So like Devin Hester was somebody that I worked with. And wow. Devin is one of the, like he was voted top 100 NFL player of all time last year. Yeah. Um, he might be in the Hall of Fame this year. Devin was going to be Devin. It didn't matter who trained Devin. Like Devin's going to be 4-4, four, four, you know, 4-3 speed. Devin's going to have 50-something inch box jump. Devin's going to, you know, just be Devin. Now I can enhance that. Right. Like I can push those boundaries a little bit for sure, but I can't make a Devin Hester. Right. Clearly, yeah. there's never been another one. So if somebody could make him, they would have already done it by now. Yeah. So the, the point is, is that some coaches think that they can make athletes X, Y or Z. And I would argue that that's not the case. You can just improve X, Y or Z. There's a reason why the Olympics, you know, are very few people who actually make it there. If anybody could make it we would have a lot bigger Olympic games, right? <laughs> you it's know, true. even if you look at, if you look at Olympic sprinting, this is an example of power. You know, when you look at the final, you're saying the top 10 or 12, you know, men or women in the world, how often are one, two, and three close? Like <laughs> yeah. everybody else, I mean, like, like yeah, one, two, true. and three, maybe within a few strides. And then you start getting four, five, six, seven. They're, they're like, it looks like they're like ages behind. I know right? it's like, they're, they're not even in consider. They're like, Nope, you're not. <laughs> and you're, you're not and even you're close. Talking about, yeah. You're talking about already the 12 fastest people on the planet. Like yeah. the, the difference at that elite level. And again, I'm, I've just, I've been blessed to work with a lot of these athletes. So I've been able to see it, but the difference at that elite level is, is so great that you, you start to understand that this was already in that person. You didn't develop it, but I can help them express that athleticism. That's my job as a strength coach. Yeah. So again, it takes us back to your question about bars and all that. If my goal is to help them express their athleticism, and the best way to do that is through a Mars bar, let's say, yeah. then that's what that's that's what I should that's use. I'm do. doing a disservice to them if I'm doing something other than that, because then I'm serving myself and I'm not serving my athlete. Well, and it also bucks the trend of forcing them to do an exercise a certain way, but, 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 uh, making the exercise different with maybe plates or something. Cause you talked about the mobility issue and the teach the thing that has always been taught. And I've seen from personal trainers on Instagram all the time is they'll make them do the straight bar squat. It like never changes. Right. But mm -hmm. they will, they will make the accommodations with like the plates under the heel or they'll, They'll do things to force them to do this squat, right? But they'll make those considerations. So it's nice to hear that maybe that's not necessarily the way to go about doing things. 
Well, but the point you bring up is a good one. So a few years ago, again, I, I feel old. I'm, I'm not that old. I'm 35, but I You're feel not. very old in this, in this industry because in this industry, you know, once you hit 40, you're kind of, you know, you're either the head string coach for a college or a pro team or you're nobody. Yeah. Like that's basically how the yeah, it's, works, it's right? like the Olympics. Yeah. Um, it's, it's crazy. So, so I feel old in that. Like I remember when Chad Wesley Smith and juggernaut was popular in his training system and people still use it, but like, it was like really popular. And one of his most popular videos was trashing Westside. He was, you know, this is bands and chains is pointless and variations is pointless. And, and look at what I did just using the straight bar and all this other junk. Yeah. Well, I know some of his athletes is really good ones and they would be doing deficit deadlifts or board presses or close grip or, <laughs> you know, yeah. close stance. And I'm like, well, wait a second. If we're talking about variations, we're you're you're programming variations for your athletes. Slingshot, they use slingshot, right? Like that's a reverse stance. Like yeah. you're, you're you're programming accommodation and variation. You just don't like the way someone else is using it. But like to your point about the like plates and the heels, that's variation. That's yeah. not a standard straight bar squat. That's a variation, right? So <laughs> every every smart coach, we'll put it that way. Um, is using the tools that they have to get the most out of their client or their athlete. And to me, the ones who are just jerks are the ones who don't understand, or, or they try to, I guess, take the credit for like the way you're coming up with this like rigid philosophy that is just really, again, it's, it's not even a personal indictment on them. It's more of a disservice to their client. If you're not willing to learn and, and change and educate yourself so that you can do the best, your best job, then why are you even in the industry? It is it's a service industry. It's not a me industry, right? It's a service-based industry. So it goes back to exactly what you said about you trying to improve as opposed to create. Yes. Same thing always goes with the client, I guess. If you're not willing to just approve upon their abilities, then you are doing that disservice to your client. You're, you're trying to create something that they, they can't necessarily be. Well, and I'll give you two good examples of that in real life on the extreme side, obviously, yeah. um, you know, Dan Bell is a friend of mine. Okay. Dan Bell, if you've ever seen him squat, his feet are like, I don't know, maybe 10 inches apart, maybe oh, 12. Wow, okay. And he is the all time world record holder in reps all time. No one Jeez. squatted more than him in reps. He squatted 11, 16 or something. I forget. Exactly oh, that's, what it that's, was. that's nuts. Okay, if you take 99% of people in the world and ask them to squat with their feet, you know, roughly 12 inches apart, they can't even get to that. Oh, no. Right? So if we're going to say that Dan, you know, well, we don't have to say it. It's a fact. He's the heaviest person of all, or the <laughs> heaviest squat of all time. <laughs> so if that's the case, then shouldn't everybody be doing what Dan does? If, if quote unquote, the goal is to be like the best, do it like him yeah yeah i guess yeah yeah like logically right and no of course not like that's insane like you know every everybody's different that's the joke right like some people need a wide stance some people need a close stance some people need a medium stance moving toes out some people need toes forward like there's all these different things based on you know limb length and mobility and just natural strength and weakness like you have to factor and and if you look at history when you look at the best lifters of all time None of them lift exactly the same. Ed Cohn freaking would pull sumo, set a record. Six months later, pull conventional, set a record. 
I mean, how many people can do that? Just switch back and forth and pull 900 pounds or a thousand pounds on, on, on any given day, depending on which stance they had. They don't, he doesn't, he didn't care. Yeah. So like, like it's just, it's a very, it's a very, um, you know, ass backwards way of thinking when you say you have to do it this way, because you're completely ignoring the natural deviation in genetics and human body and just how certain people are good at some things and certain people aren't. And you have to pro you have to program around those ways. And then I'll give you one more example. I trained a guy named Bruce Gaston, whose feet naturally were like turned very far out, right? Like his toes pointed, you know, opposite directions. And he was a defensive tackle at Purdue. He played in the NFL for a little bit. Okay. Um, you know, a, a lot of these freaking people, you know, movement specialists would say, like, you can't, you can't be like that. You can't have your feet turned out. What's wrong with you? You're gonna do this and do that and stress here and stress there. Yeah. Look, this this guy went to his pro day at Purdue. So this is Electric Time NFL Scouts ran like a four nine six. He weighed three hundred and forty pounds or so, something like that. He God. jumped a thirty six inch vert. Um, you know, he played like I said, Purdue for four years. Obviously, he played in the NFL for a few. Like, guy never had a knee injury. He never had a like. I don't know. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's just, that's just his body. Like, it's just his body. Yeah. Yeah. In some, in some ways I've seen people get hurt when they try to force your body into something that it just can't do or doesn't oh, so want to do. So um, true. Jeez. So again, I think, I think the issue is two things. A lot of, a lot of coaches, um, they got into this because they're passionate about it personally. Yeah. And as a result, they tend to treat everyone like themselves. Um, if they bodybuilded, then they want other people to bodybuild. If they're a powerlifter, they want other people to powerlift because it, there's just like natural attraction of what you enjoy doing. Right. Um, like Tom and Cam, I wouldn't train with those guys if they didn't lift heavy because I like to lift heavy personally. Right. Yeah. So as a result, I think a lot of times coaches kind of make their clients like their friends and, and try to make them lift like them. And I think the other side of it is experience. So you can learn about this all you want, but if you haven't trained a wide variety of people, and I don't mean a lot of the same kind of person. I mean a lot of different kinds of people, different ages, different sports, um, you know, different goals. Then it's hard to understand how these outcomes, you know, ultimately go together and over time and, and kind of lead to, you know, lead to what happens. It's hard to understand that if you don't have the experience. And so a lot of it, I think, just comes back to attitude um, going into it as a coach. Am I serving my client? Am I thinking about what's best for them? Am I educating myself so that I can do a better job? If you're doing those things, you're on the right path. It's never going to be perfect. Yeah, but I but I appreciate that though, and and I mean that's that's what needs to be shared nowadays. If anybody's ever going to get into coaching or the personal training world, it it's more about adapting as opposed to creating from nothing. So, and that's what your business is based on, I'd imagine, uh, smart strength. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Too. So, so smart strength came around because, well, one, the pandemic that helped, okay. um, because I had never trained online. I've been asked a lot, but I'd never done it, uh, because I just didn't think sending someone a spreadsheet was like the best way that I could train them. And yeah. I know that some people do that and that's fine. I'm just saying for me personally, it wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, and then Tom at the time he went to the hybrid meet this was in 20 it had to be early yeah early 2020 right before like march it yeah. would have been like late january early february he did the hybrid meet and on one of his squat attempts he tore something in his knee and then when he benched he tore his tech um he still pulled 600 and something which is impressive um 
but he came back to, you know, he said he came back to Chicago and he left his uh, peck and his knee in Miami. Like he was just messed up. Yeah. And I'd known Tom at that point for maybe about a year. And Tom already had set several world records. Um, and anytime like I meet somebody and who's a really good athlete, I really try not to go in and tell them what they should be doing. Cause yeah. obviously you're pretty good at it already. For sure. I had my opinions, um, but it takes time and trust, I think, to build those up. So when Tom came back hurt, he um, was like, hey, could you help rehabilitate me? Even though I'm not a physical therapist, um, I've talked about this before. There's this really gray area between someone can walk and someone can play an NFL game. And physical therapists in general don't understand that gap. That's not their job, right? You're released from insurance when you can do your daily activities. The insurance doesn't, you know, cover you so to speak yeah um, insurance you know sucks. To, play, to play an nfl game right even for yeah. nfl players like you know people don't understand that like their insurance through a team or whatever covers them up until they're cleared to return to practice oh, from wow. that point on that doesn't mean that you're back to pro bowl level or whatever right like there's a whole, whole lot of stuff there's another happen. array of things right and so i would hmm. say i'm a specialist in that like if someone's really injured go to a doctor uh you know go see a physical therapist for sure i'm not that if yeah. you are that, that gray area where you're not 100%, but you're past, you know, doing, um, you know, band, you know, hamstring curls or something, then I'm probably a good help, a good fit for you. And so with Tom, that was him. I mean, clearly the guy finished the meet, deadlifted, like everything was attached. It's just going to be a long uphill battle for him. And so we, I started, it gave us a chance to like really talk about how he was training. Why did he get hurt? In our opinion, you never know why for sure. Anybody who says they do is, is a goober head. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's certain things that over time you can kind of lead to, again, if he's training enough people, you kind of see it. So we talk about that. And through those conversations and me rehabilitating him, he was like, man, we should really like train together. Um, because my thing is like, I'm very good at training athletes, but I don't have a lot of experience um, in the powerlifting world. Like I'm a decent powerlifter, but it's different training people. And Tom's like the opposite. Tom's like, I know I can do powerlifting all day. I don't know crap <laughs> do about powerlifting all day. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm no crap about re rehab and like all this other stuff. And so it was a good marriage of uh, backgrounds and beliefs and experience. And that's why we started the company. Um, and we use True Coach app. If you've ever used that before, it's it's a, True it's Coach. a service I've heard that. Of True Coach. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a service that lets us put our own logos and videos and they basically just do the hosting and, and all that stuff. They develop the app so we don't have to pay, you know, a hundred thousand dollars and do all that stuff. Um, so, you know, if you're a client, you open up your, your app and, you know, there's us doing the videos, how to like all your workouts all there. You can log everything. You can send video feedback to us as coaches. It's the next best thing to training in person. Um, but to your point, Smart Shrink started out of Tom saying, you know what, I'm pretty good, but I think I need to find a better way. Um, and me saying, I've trained a lot of people different ways. Now let me make that more accessible, right, to different people. Yeah. Um, and so that's where that's where the company really started from. Wow, man, that's that's impressive. I love that. Well, it's cool when you mentioned the whole uh, online coaching thing. I, I had mm -hmm. dabbled a little bit in it, and the learning curve is real. You know, when you go from like doing the yeah. in-person stuff to online coaching it's almost it's the most impersonal approach and and it's i don't know it's it's maybe some people are better at it but i was i was not good at it man i just didn't do a good job you know i think i think it's i think it's a skill like anything else yeah um you know one of my first jobs as a coach when i was in uh when i went to when i went to grad school at tcu 
was um, I was like an assistant um, trainer for this outdoor boot camp. Okay. And this boot camp, in, it was in Fort Worth. It was always outside. Um, the guy had like, on average, seventy to ninety women at a time. Oh wow! Jeez. Think think about how many people that is to train. Yeah, oh, um, God. <laughs> I, I learned really quickly how to get good at training groups of people in a safe and effective way. Okay. Um, you know, there's so much strategy to that and planning that has to go into it to make it work. Um, and clearly, the guy was effective because you wouldn't grow your business that big if it wasn't, you know, doing the right things. So um, I, I learned a lot about that. But that's different than training a pro athlete one-on-one, completely different set of skills. Yeah. Um, so I'd say it's the same thing with online training. I think it's, it's, it's a skill set that you have to develop. Um, I've gotten better at it for sure over the last year and a half. I think one of the reasons I was able to even be halfway decent is because I used to train not only my pro athletes, like people obviously, you know, that's what they attach my name to when they look me up because they think it's cool. But I trained a ton of adults. I trained a ton of kids. Trained a ton of collegiate athletes. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my oldest client was like 77. Um, oh, my youngest client, awesome. I trained a, I trained a kid who had leukemia. He was like eight or nine. <laughs> One year old. Um, <laughs> Got him no, in here. No. I was having him lift. <laughs> <laughs> no, this this one kid, he had, he had leukemia and he was like eight or nine he was going through, through uh, treatment. And oh, the doctors were like, you need to do physical therapy. He hated it. He thought it was so boring. So his parents were like, hey, you have this turf and sleds and he loves sports. Could you do something cool? Oh, I'm like, wow. sure, why not? So clearly, like, you know, he would come in and we would take an unloaded sled, just, you know, like just a 45 pound prowler and he would push it, you know, 20 yards, just walking, right? Like I'm not trying to bury the kid or anything. Goodness gracious. Yeah. But he did, he did need to be strong. He did need to train. Yeah. And then, you know, then I would set up some cones and I'd show him some football drills and like just just moving, right? Like just doing something so they could keep some muscle on it and keep his immune system as healthy as possible. Wow. But anyway, like I've been able to train a lot of different people. So that helped when I went to online training because it made me more conscious of programming ahead of some of the things that you don't know until you get into it. Yeah. Um, but still, I've learned a ton. And I think a lot of it in, in online training is, is really um, anticipating the problems before they happen, you know, over communicating, over explaining, um, over directing, you know, it, for instance, here's a good example. If I told you, let's say you open up the app and you it said barbell squat and all right, let's get rid of the straight bar. Let's say Mars bar squat. Okay. And there's a video, there's a video of me doing it. And beneath it, it says warm up and then perform a set of five, four, three, two, one, increase the weight each set if it moves well. Okay. Would you think that that one should be a max effort or not? For the, uh, for the, oh no, no. I, me personally, no. Well, you would read that as just do a work up to one rep and it's just oh, okay. kind of yeah. heavy, right? Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. <laughs> you, yeah. you asked me a question, I'm like, fuck, here we can. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I'm just saying like, like even though it says increase the weight if it goes well, and, and once you warm up, it says five, you know, set one, five reps, set two, four reps, down to one. You know, I read that as an nice effort. That's I, right. Oh, that's do good one point. Rep, yeah. You know, I'm going balls to the wall. I don't care what happens to me. Like safety catches and spotters and ammonia and all that. That's me. <laughs> 
99% of people say, oh, he just wants me to do a heavy rep and RPE 7, whatever the heck. That's exactly that what I Don't, thought. I'm the one plate guy. You know, so I'm sitting here right. lifting like sissy ass weights. That's why I'm like, right. oh, I'll just go, I'll just do a little bit. Yeah. But the point is, if my client, if you come back to me as a client and you said, oh, I, I just did one kind of heavy rep, and I'm like, well, why didn't you max out? That's not your fault. That's my fault. I didn't explain where I wanted the percentages and what, how I wanted it to feel like I should have typed that out. So like, I think a lot of online coaching is understanding that like even rest, I write out the rest. I want no rest, move to the next thing. I want 40 seconds of rest because even if it's not perfect, it's the idea of what pace should I be doing this at? Right? Like I, I doubt my clients are timing their reps, but like if it says a minute, okay, that means, you know, maybe check my phone for a second set up my plates and then get right back to it. That's very different than three to four minutes, which is, you know, maybe talk to someone or like, yeah, yeah. Get on a phone call. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so like, you, you just have to over communicate your pace and, and what you want because they, they can't get inside your head. No. And you're not there in person to change it. So I think that's the biggest, that to me is the biggest thing about online coaching. For so sure. it really is the art of over communication, like really learning how to explain every aspect of the movement so that they got, they got everything that they can draw from. They don't have to wonder, you know? Yeah. My, my, my professor in college used to say, people will do exactly what you tell them to do. So if That's, you don't tell them to it, they're yeah. not going to do it. <laughs> such a good uh, quote, you know? That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Jeez, man. That's like, that's like what I needed to hear. Cause that, that definitely, that's, de- it's, it's amazing how these simple little things are lost in like the, the, the mess of crazy approaches, insane variations. And it's like, well, hold up, you know, there's other, you got to consider these other simple things that make you an effective coach or whatever. Right. 